Good morning. My name is Adele Robinson, and I proudly serve as the executive director with City of Columbus. And I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Red Jacket Roundtable podcast. Uh, Red Jacket Roundtable is a series of conversation with nonprofit leaders here in Central Ohio to discuss important topics related to youth development and advocacy and programming in our community. Our guest for today is Mr. Michael Corey, who is the executive director for the Human Service Chamber of Franklin County. The Human Service Chamber represents over 160 health and human service nonprofits here in Central Ohio. The mission and vision of the Human Service Chamber is to unleash the power of human potential through every act of human service and to enhance the quality of life for all by working with and for human health and human service organizations. So welcome, Michael. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me, Dara. It's wonderful to be here. So let's just get started. So we all know all the great stuff that you're doing. And I do want to shout out the uh, award that you received through Columbus CEO. Can you talk a little bit about that? The award you just received? I want to shout you out. Uh, well, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, it's it's very humbling. Uh, Columbus CEO uh, does an annual um, CEO of the year award for uh, large nonprofits, small nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And uh, much as I uh, prefer them to select our members uh, who are richly deserving of that recognition, um, they very foolishly uh, chose me for the small nonprofit award for, for this year. Well, thank you for, you know, being being humble in that sense. And I thank you for all your leadership. And it is a well-deserved award. I just wanted to shout that out as a member, City as a member of the Human Service Chamber. And I know we take advantage of all the resources that you and your team um, provide to all the nonprofits here uh, in Central Ohio. So I uh, appreciate you in, in, that part, in that part. So let's just uh, start off a little bit about you and your background and how you got into this work with the uh, service, Human Service Chamber. Sure. Uh, so uh, I am a recovering lawyer. Um, I had been in private practice at a law firm called Bricker Neckler, uh, doing healthcare law for about three years. And I had gone to that law firm because of their reputation for doing wonderful education, law, and policy work. That's why I had gone to law school. It's, it's everything I had done prior to law school, and it's it, what drove me to that firm, obviously. And I was arrogant enough to think that when I got there, they would just let me dive into that work and do the two things that I had wanted to do, which was uh, tackling the way we fund public schools and doing it more equitably in line with uh, Ohio State Supreme Court rulings in the past that Bricker had brought to court. And two, I wanted to undo the resegregation of public schools and, and do that through law and policy. And I got to the law firm and they said, actually, we need you to be a healthcare lawyer. So I tried learning and doing healthcare law for three years. And uh, after about two and a half years of, of trying, um, realized that I really wanted to get back to my, my roots and uh, found a job at the Children's Defense Fund of Ohio doing policy, analyst, po policy analysis, excuse me. And that was a lot of uh, direct engagement with elected officials, with communities. And I, I loved it, but it was funnily mostly healthcare as opposed to education. Um, so I was there for about uh, nine, 10 months, uh, not even 10 months, and and left for uh, a presidential campaign. I did voter protection work for the Clinton campaign in 2016, knowing that when that concluded, no matter the outcome, I would have to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, and when that concluded, uh, in November of 2016, uh, I began a search uh, for 
what my next would be. And, and my significant other was was very supportive and patient and, and helpful for me, as was uh, the community I had been fortunate to build at that point. And they helped me find an organization I'd never heard of before called the Human Service Chamber. Um, and I loved the mission on paper or on the website as I as I could find it of trying to serve as one voice with and for the health and human services sector in our community. And uh, I applied and fortunately got an interview and they were kind enough to hire me in April of 2017. And it's been off to the races since then. Oh, that's a great story. Great background. I, I, I didn't know you were uh, working uh, with the Children's Defense Fund. That's really interesting that you uh, got into that space and then moving in, into this space. So can you share with our listeners a little more? We talked a little bit about the mission and vision of the organization, but could you talk more about sort of the programming and resources that you provide and advocacy uh, opportunities that you provide for many of the nonprofits here in Columbus? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. So uh, there's a pre-COVID and a and a mid-COVID answer to that question. So I'll, I'll focus obviously on the mid-COVID since we're we're still in it, although hopefully approaching the endemic phase at last year. Um, Pre-COVID, the chamber's mission was identical to what it had been when the organization was founded in 2010, which was to do that local government relations work um, with and for the nonprofits, most of whom don't have the time or the bandwidth to do that on their own or to have a dedicated staffer to that. It's usually an ED such as yourself wearing one of many hats that includes talking to local elected officials. So we were doing that. We added state and federal advocacy to our work when I arrived um, per what our, our members were telling me during my proverbial listening tour in my first months. And we tried convening the sector uh, in a way that we hadn't necessarily been as much in the prior year or two when I uh, to when I had arrived. And that meant uh, regular membership meetings and communications to our members and to the community trying to unite, bring together, learn together, listen together to do the work that needed to be done for the people that our agencies were serving and for the people that our agencies were employing. And our membership grew accordingly from 48 organizations when I started in 2018, 2017 to about 80 organizations in February of 2020. So COVID hits and we had to obviously triple down on our government relations work that became absolutely pivotal, mostly asking for resources of dollars and resources of PPE for our folks. The second area we immediately stood up was professional services, trying to help our agencies with sort of the back office decision-making that they would need assistance with now that they had to make all sorts of new kinds of decisions. And because they had fewer um, hours in the day and fewer dollars to work with to farm out whatever work they might need. So we've we've gone all in on that. We actually just received uh, $300,000 from the city and $200,000 from the Columbus Foundation separately to build out more professional services for our members and to hire two new full-time staffers to provide two distinct professional services lines. One, a communications person mm-hmm. and one, a sustainability person, which I'm I'm particularly excited about because it's such a rare um, and I think important and opportune um, line of support to provide to the sector. But I, I digress. All that work has been built out by our second ever full-time staffer, Bumika Patel, and she's doing a phenomenal job of that. The third area 
uh, is PPE distribution. Uh, that's something we began in about March of 2020, and we've continued masks, gloves, soap, sanitizer, rapid test kits, you name it, we've been a channel of very generous donations and sometimes some things we've purchased to get them out into the community. At this point, we've lost track, but it's it's been millions and millions of items. And we're, we're very fortunate to be positioned where we can continue with that to keep our staffers safe and to keep their clients safe. That's, that's the goal. And we'll assuredly continue with that until the need for those items wanes. But now we've become a distribution channel for other items that businesses in particular want to donate. Bath and Body Works wants to give out bags of, of, of goodies uh, that they're willing to share with the community. A number of corporations have shared office furniture with our members because they're shifting their, um, their in-person operations due to working from home being more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And our agencies get to reap the benefit of free furniture, which is a huge cost savings and an improvement to their physical spaces, which is, which is great. So we'll We'll continue to be a logistics firm uh, as part of our, our work as well. The fourth is that convening. Um, we were meeting weekly the first year of the pandemic, obviously virtually. Then it was bi-weekly in 2021, and it's become monthly ever since. And that alternates between in-person and virtual. Uh, virtual to save people time and to improve attendance. We had 75 folks on our January 2023 membership meeting. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and those meetings are intended to bring in experts or decision makers or thought leaders uh, to share with our members, to add value to the work that they're doing, and to provide a channel for our folks to commiserate with one another. We'll do more and more of that. We have social events. We have other um, you know, essentially pop-up substantive events as they become warranted, pursuing the federal appropriations, for example. We'll do something soon on the state budget process and the city budget process. There's a lot that we can do just with those convenings. And then lastly, we're a communications channel. Um, not every day anymore, but several times a week, I send an email to our CEOs and EDs that Bumika and I build that's intended to be a must read for all of our CEOs and EDs and their teams uh, with uh, government analyses, funding opportunities, resources, announcements from their peers, as well as from community organizations and, and much, much more. And it's also a channel for us to gather information from them efficiently to help us do our work and help individual organizations as they might need expertise from that hive mind that our membership of now 165 health and human services agencies can provide. Wow. There's, there's, there's a lot more, but those are the five lanes in which we're trying to be most impactful for our members and therefore for the community every day. And that's amazing how when the chamber started in, you know, 2010, correct? And to see all of the services and all the growth and you're, you're uh, adding more capacity for your organization in order to serve more organizations like ours. Because I know City of Columbus, we love to take advantage of all those the emails and the resources and the professional development pieces, the articles. I get a chance to read some of those and uh, I make time to read those articles because they help me. I learned some things that due to time, I necessarily wouldn't be able to find on my own. So I really appreciate that. As you've seen Columbus grow, you know, we're a fast growing city. Uh, we're we're going to be probably in the top 10 of the population and other things here pretty soon. And you're seeing all the resources coming, the cranes going up, but also the needs of, of our community is also getting bigger. 
right? Yep. And yep. The, the nonprofit sector is going to be even that much more uh, uh, essential for our community. What are some of the, the, the upcoming things, your opportunities that you're seeing that nonprofits can, can be linked to as Columbus grows, as our community needs start to uh, get even greater? Yeah, it's we could talk about that for a couple of hours. Um, so let, let me start by saying um, a unique consequence of the pandemic is that our community and communities across the country and the world realized how essential health and human services nonprofits were the last 35 months. And they mostly, mostly put the money there in a way that was more commensurate with the needs they're trying to meet. The challenge now is those one-time dollars are going to be exhausted in the next couple of years, but the needs are never going back to where they were in February 2020. And that distinction will be even starker here and then other communities that are growing quickly in the wake of COVID. Um, and we're going to have to figure out how we sustainably fund and better fund the breadth of the health and human services sector to meet that growing need, even if proportionally it isn't as great as it has been the last 35 months relative to our full population, because our growth, as you noted, is going to be astronomical. We're going to go from being a mid-size American city to a major North American community over the next 10, 15, 20 years. And that's a product of a lot of things. It's not just Intel and its supply chain moving to our region. It's not just Honda and other economic development projects. It's also going to be something a little bit more morbid and difficult to think about, which is people coming to Columbus because we're more inoculated from global warming and its escalating consequences than most communities across the country. And you don't have to start from scratch here. We're already the 14th largest city. There's great infrastructure here. People are going to start coming here in droves. In fact, they have been. The city grew by something like 15% over the last decade, and that pace is going to quicken. Um, and, and we have to be ready for that on a whole host of areas, including in the health and human services sector. So opportunities to get ready. We need to prepare, prepare the nonprofit workforce in a way that we haven't. It's depleted relative to the need. And it's going to have to grow over the next 10 years. And we're going to, it's going to require investments in education, continuing learning, and it's going to require more dollars for our existing workforce to be incentivized to stay in the workforce. We have to think about the business model for nonprofits in a different way. And it's not going to be fixed by one, two, or three different things. It's going to require some big infrastructure changes for the sector, such as finally increasing reimbursement rates for nonprofits that are reliant upon those federal government and state government reimbursement uh, streams of, of dollars and things of that nature. Um, another tremendous area of opportunity that I think our sector is going to lead on and do in concert with the business community and the education community and the health system community is in sustainability. That's in part why I want to hire someone there. Um, it is imperative that as we're building new facilities and renovating existing facilities, that we do so with sustainability in mind. And what do I mean by that? I mean energy efficiency, and I mean durability with more severe weather happening more often. 
Um, we're also going to need to prepare our residents and the people that we're serving for those difficult changes. Right. And fortunately, um, we have finally crossed the Rubicon in terms of federal leadership with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which uh, to me is the most important legislation to pass in a century, strictly because it's going to give us a chance to brace for what's coming. And we all have to lead the way in taking advantage of that. And, and I, I already see that happening um, in taking advantage of not only the dollars that are coming in, but creating jobs and improving health because it's all intertwined with this. Global warming has a disproportionate consequence on the very people our agencies serve. Mm -hmm. And we have to help prepare our community for that while also mitigating against the worst of it and preventing it from getting even worse than it, than it might get. So those yeah. two really stand out to me. There are plenty of others. I think workforce is a key one. I think food is a key one. I think housing is a key one. It's it's all part of the same bucket of challenges and opportunities that go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, but our community is going to have to do it faster than most communities just because of that anticipated growth here. Those are great. I wanted to go back to a really quick point. We can unpack a little bit really related to funding. You talked about the uh, COVID dollars being able to help out a lot of agencies during that time, the past 35 months, but that's gonna be going away soon. And with more opportunities coming online, more nonprofits coming online, um, I, I can't even remember what the number of nonprofits, large and small here are. There's thousands of them, right? There's just tons of nonprofits. And you know, being an executive director, sometimes I'm like, well, we're all searching and going after the same pot of dollars, right? Yeah. And that's a challenge in and of itself. How can nonprofits of all different sizes position themselves to be more in line for those opportunities when they do come? Right. Uh, infrastructure dollars, capacity building dollars, sustainability, and whatever sector, whether it be housing, uh, youth development, education, uh, food security or insecurity, homelessness, how do we continue to position ourselves in those uh, in those areas so that when those dollars or any opportunities, new businesses come, or we can tap into those resources more effectively? I know we have a collective voice going through the chamber, but then there are some standalone things that we have to uh, work through to have access. That's right. So uh, first, the number of agencies is is significant. I think technically speaking. There are approximately 8,000 nonprofits in Franklin County, but that number is a little misleading because that includes um, religious institutions, places of worship, uh, that includes uh, private and charter schools, that includes hospitals and health systems and their facilities. It also includes a lot of teeny tiny nonprofits that might be simply a person that created a, a foundation and memory of their pet that passed away. And once a year, they might put on a, a post on Facebook soliciting funds. Mm -hmm. um, functionally speaking, our estimate is that there are between 200 and 500 health and human services agencies in Franklin County of all sizes. And that range is um, a, a, you know, agencies that have a staff of zero and agencies that have a staff of a couple thousand people agencies that have revenue of, you know, a couple thousand dollars all the way up to one nonprofit that we serve has $400 million in annual revenue. Mm -hmm. Obviously, most are smaller as opposed to that large. So 
Um, that diversity of agencies is reflected also in the diversity of services that they provide, as you noted. And therefore, funding streams can vary depending upon the subsector that they're in. The, the key thing we need all of our nonprofits to do is to be aware of the opportunities that are out there for funds and then have the resources that they require to go get them and to manage the funds so that they can continue getting those dollars. Um, that, that's, that's the key piece, independent of every other factor. And that was that's a primary reason that we're here is to make sure all of our members know where the dollars are, how to get them and how to, how to um, continue getting them. And that's hard. That's hard in large part because the funding streams fluctuate, especially right. the government dollars, which are a significant tranche of revenue streams for our folks, whether they're locally sourced, state sourced, or, or federally sourced. So that's that's something that we have to try and fix um, with those that have their um, hand on the lever, essentially. Um, then there's, of course, the philanthropic and the corporate opportunities, um, both from individuals and from institutions and from corporations. And we have to continue making sure all of our folks know about all the opportunities that are available for them to seek funds. But we also have to provide um, the infrastructure to help them work, help all of you as nonprofits to work together where there are collaborative opportunities to pursue dollars. We haven't done that well enough. How do we help all of your development staff, even if that's someone wearing that hat, to know and be equipped to pursue those dollars with the limited amount of time that they have to do it in? So a, a lot of that is structural and just informational. Um, but then beyond that, um, it's banding together with that collective voice that you noted and advocating for larger, more sustainable, more flexible funding streams for the sector too. Um, and this isn't this isn't charity. This is the business model. These are businesses right. that are providing critical health and human services. Um, and our sector isn't positioned, as Margie Pizzuti from Goodwill Columbus used to say, to increase the price of a widget to generate more revenue. Right. And the solution consequently isn't going to be for every agency or even most agencies, some sort of social entrepreneurship model that can help. And many agencies have figured that out and do it very well. Um, but for most, it's working within the system that exists and making that system better. And then knowing how to tap into the revenue streams that are out there from within the system and outside of it. That's a great, uh, those are some great points. I, I appreciate you sharing that in the context of um, flexibility and funding. I think that's that's always a key one for me when I hear folks talk about that and that we're having those conversations. I wanted to step back a little bit to what you talked about earlier when you were talking about uh, your career trajectory and yeah. your uh, 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 passion for educational equity, right? Yeah. Education and, and growth in educational equity and advocacy. Uh, kind of putting that lens back on or that hat back on, can you share a little bit about your thoughts about kind of how education has been shifting here in maybe in whatever uh, realm you're thinking about it, whether locally, nationally, statewide, uh, how are you still uh, scratching that itch of being part of that educational advocacy world? Not as much as I'd like to. Um, yeah. It's it's funny you asked me that because a few months ago, a friend was just talking to me about, do you still get to do any education work? And I, I said, not really. I, I get to do it through supporting our agencies that are in that world. And I, I need to figure out 
how I make that part of my day to day again. And and it it should be. It's it's fundamental to the work that that our members are doing and and fundamental to our our community as it is in every other. Um, but I'll I'll tell you what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, and what I where I see opportunities and where I see some challenges. Um, obviously the pandemic fell disproportionately on certain communities in education, just as it did in every other way. Mm-hmm. And the learning loss percentages and data showing disparate outcomes for our black and brown children versus everybody else are, are, are alarming. And what I see further is um, almost uh, a, a, uh, a giving up from a lot of our policymakers of this is going to be too hard. To catch up and to fix now what, mm-hmm. what are we going to do mm-hmm. um, and i think one of the things that we need to do immediately is ask kids their caregivers and their teachers what do you need to get back to where we need to be and to not only get to that but to go much further to where we aspire to be where do we aspire to be uh in terms of level of education and aspiration and how do we finally finally get a lot of these entrenched inequities out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's going to require significant, concerted, um, coordinated work. And that alone turns people off. Mm-hmm. That alone makes it hard because there is there is just so much uh, at stake and there's so much inertia. Right. Um, and yet we know how to do it. We just have to have the will to do it. Um, and I, I think the advent of um, online learning and uh, learning in different kinds of ways than we've done, the newer, I should say, the growing emphasis on experiential learning, um, some of the opportunities that now exist to learn from people across the world um, can help with some of the infrastructure challenges that we're facing in education right now, uh, leading with teacher shortages. Right. The teacher shortage piece really concerns me, right. uh, but we can't eliminate the uh, effort to get more teachers and to support teachers. We have to support them more, um, and we have to stop putting restrictions on teachers and what can be taught. Mm-hmm. That's been another element of the last 35 months, unprecedented attempts by people wanting to weaponize their power to limit what our students can learn, Right. right. even as it's as easy as ever to circumvent what's taught and not taught in the classroom with facts outside of it. But it's also more, uh, it's also easier to find misinformation, disinformation outside of the classroom. Yeah, and we're seeing that in Florida, right? We're seeing that perfect example. That's exactly right. Florida and Texas have been kind of ground zero for that. But what concerns me most is now we're teaching disinformation too, as, as mandated by state leaders um, with temporary power trying to inflict permanent harm. Right. Um, It's a deeply concerning mix of challenges. And yet we, we need to do the basics right too. We got to make sure these kids are fed. Mm -hmm. We got to make sure these kids are in, uh, are in safe buildings. The air in the buildings needs to be clean. The walk to and from school needs to be safe and they have to be safe at school too. We just had two school shootings the last week. I mean, it, it's just, it, it, there's just this astonishing mix of challenges that are being borne more heavily by our kids mm-hmm. than anywhere else. And yet we're asking them to to keep learning and to compete with kids all over the world in a way that they haven't had to either. And 
and we need everybody. We need, this is this is going to be all hands on deck generation, and right. that's not fair to them. But that's the burden they're going to have to carry, and we as the adults have to do a lot better job supporting them in every way that we can, mm-hmm. um, in spite of the enormity of the challenges of folks both intentionally and unintentionally making it harder for them to succeed. Um, so the, the, the challenges are enormous. They are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet, and yet, um, when I learn about the young people that city year is employing and the children that your AmeriCorps members are serving, that's, that's the kind of stuff that gives me hope. And I see kids that find a way to persevere. I just didn't wish, I wish they didn't have to persevere so much. Sure. I wish they didn't have to be so darn resilient. Mm-hmm. to to make it whatever the make it is for them mm-hmm. um i wish they were awash in opportunities not challenges um but we have to do the basics right we have to make sure they have the fundamentals that they need to function properly every day and to be safe and we concurrently have to be aspirational and giving them everything they need to thrive um, right. or wherever they they want to be and that was a great segue into my next question. You mentioned our AmeriCorps members that are working with students, not only here locally in Columbus, but our, with our site, but on all of our other sites around uh, the country. Because our service model is very unique in how we support teachers and how we support students in uh, many of our partner schools. One of the, you talked about earlier about the workforce challenge that nonprofits are experiencing and will experience. And I'm thinking about all of our young folks, many of them right out of college, some of them right out of high school, some of them get into this work and they say, oh, the nonprofit world looks very intriguing to me, especially in the education space. Some talk about advocacy and we try to work with them in building their professional uh, skills in those areas. We have mentoring programs. We have um, opportunities for them to connect career affinity groups to learn about different sectors. And and one of those is nonprofit uh, and or education. And I always try to give advice because I've been a nonprofit, my 28th year in nonprofit, right? And I try to give advice on my experiences, where the mistakes I made and the, the networks that I built in order to build my career in the space. Because I love working nonprofit. I don't see myself doing anything else for the remainder of my career. Um, but I'm always trying to give advice and give encouragement for those young folks to get into the nonprofit sector. Because a lot of this generation... Um, they really want to see change, right? They're a lot more vocal. They have all these tools to see things happen, right? But sometimes they just need a little bit of more, hey, here's a little, they have the information at their fingertips, but how do they, you know, implement that in real time? So they're always asking these questions about what about this and how, I'm not sure how to network and where do I make these connections or where do I fit in? What advice would you give to some of our AmeriCorps members who are starting their careers and they're really interested in health and human service opportunities Right. What advice would you give to our, our next generation of uh, uh, nonprofit leaders? Uh, keep going. Um, th- th- I, I start with that. Uh, this is another topic that we could talk about for hours. Um, so one of the really wonderful things about the upcoming generation is that they're impatient. And I really appreciate that about them. It, it annoys a lot of folks that are more senior. Yeah. Um, because uh, impatience can result in a lot of things that aren't necessarily immediately productive in the day to day. But to me, that impatience is one of their greatest strengths because they can remind us that we don't have to settle for the way things are and have been. Mm -hmm. The key is helping 
them and working with them to uh, channel that impatience into practical as well as aspirational change. And that is the nexus at which health and human services nonprofits run into a challenge. And I think that is frequently what is driving frustration amongst that new generation, Generation Z, as it enters the nonprofit workforce. They want to come in and make those generational systemic changes immediately. And the health and human services sector isn't equipped or charged or even have the sovereignty to do that. Right, right. Uh, our job is to both be on the front lines delivering emergent services while concurrently taking the expertise and what we see, what we know to advocate for the systemic changes that we see as being necessary to prevent those emergencies from happening in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that I think is where Generation Z can find their way through. That's my advice. How do you marry those two things? Right. How do you take what you're gonna do and learn on the front lines as you enter the workforce and then implement it into change, whether it's at ballot box and in government or through other systems that are out and around it? Mm -hmm. That's how we do it. And that takes time right. as well as urgency. It took Charles Hamilton Houston decades, decades to defeat Plessy versus Ferguson in the Supreme Court. And he did it through a mix of urgency and patience. Right, right. And then, of course, it's taken decades for a lot of the elements of Brown v. Board of Education to be undone too. Right. And now the charge is on us to scratch it back. Right. And I wish we could snap our fingers and take it all back and get us back on the right path immediately. And, and we can't. Um, so my, my, my generation to my, my generation, my advice um, <laughs> to folks that are coming out of college, coming out of high school, looking at the nonprofit workforce is to, is to come. We need you. We need you desperately. We all need you and keep going yeah. um, and, yeah. and, and find that passion, find that skill set that you want to, that you have and that you want to develop, find the issues that you care about and pursue them doggedly. Yeah. Knowing that you're not going to get the solution you want or deserve or the people you are serving want or deserve, but you're going to get there. Right. And, and, and that is not a linear path, unfortunately. Tragically, it's not. Right. Right. And we're at a really unique inflection point and have been that I compare to the uh, reconstruction and post-reconstruction period in our country's history. Mm. And we got to do this better than we did post-reconstruction or else. And that's going to take all of us being stacked hands and, and, and it's going to take frustration and discomfort as well as that urgency that and impatience that this generation is bringing to get us there. That's, that's some great advice. I appreciate you sharing that. And that kind of uh, helps me even get even more perspective about how we're working with our young people because we're with them every day and they're we're seeing them grow every day and they're learning and they're asking questions and they're they are like wait a second what why does this take so why is this so difficult why are you all constantly ruminating over the same thing over and over again it's, we should be getting things moving faster so I, I think that's uh, uh, some great perspective um I want to ask you one last question uh, before we end our time and everything you said today has been incredible I really appreciate all of the insight you have and all the experience and how you're seeing things flesh out in, in this particular market. What inspires you in this work? That's my final question. Yeah. Um, 
there's an easy answer to that. I have a front row seat to the work that 165 nonprofits are doing and to the victories large and small that they're achieving, whether that's getting someone housed, getting someone trained for a job that they might other might not otherwise have gotten, um, or something more significant like securing a million dollar grant to build a facility for women of color that doesn't exist anywhere else in the United States. That's what Zora's house just did right. um, through the federal appropriations process. Um, I see that progress happening in the wake of, uh, or in the face of enormous headwinds. And I see those winds beginning to shift at last. Um, that That's what gives me hope. Um, I see the amount of collaboration, I see the amount of energy, I see the amount of enthusiasm, and I see a new wave of people coming in to the sector at the top and all the way down to the entry level to, to continue the work, to carry the torch. Um, it, it, to give you a sense, and I, I know you've heard me say this, Adara, many times, because you're you're among this new wave of, of CEOs and EDs, of our 165 members, we have a new CEO or ED at 50 of our agencies since yeah. February of 2020. Yeah. And the vast majority of those individuals had never been a nonprofit CEO or ED before. Mm -hmm. So how do we help them? How do we help fan their flames that brought them into to that role? And how do we help fortify the, um, the teams that exist underneath them and alongside them? Uh, and how do we keep generating opportunities for growth for folks that are new and on the front lines and folks that are at mid-level? It's hard. Right. It's hard. But but I get hope just from getting to know the people doing the work. Because my, my job is easy. I, I sit behind a computer and I punch my keyboard and I pick up the phone and I yell at some people. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, that that's that's all I get to do every day. But yeah. my my bosses and the people there employing and working with are proximate yeah. to the needs of the people of this community. And they're serving hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people that have needs. Yeah. And I wish it weren't hundreds of thousands. I wish it were zero, right. uh, but those numbers are stark. And, and I get hope from seeing them uh, help every client and treat every client with dignity and providing hope. And, and that doesn't mean it happens perfectly. There are, there are so many, imperfections and challenges that emerge and and we have to all collectively find our way through that together but that's that's again where the hope comes it's it's happening together in a way that it hadn't been and we need to stick together and we need to brace for whatever is coming for us next in the decade ahead absolutely that is the perfect button and uh exclamation point on a, a perfect conversation i i really appreciate this time uh, i appreciate your vision your hard work, your team, all the other folks, the new folks you're bringing in, all the capacity building and seeing this organization grow. I, I'll tell you personally, I take advantage and I, I try to get our team all the resources that come through, the, the emails and all the communications, uh, sitting in on the, uh, the meetings, coming to some of the uh, networking events and just hearing all the good things that, that are happening. So really appreciate you and this time. Uh, for our listeners, this podcast will be available on YouTube to share. It'll be on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, all the different platforms. Um, uh, Anchor, I think, is another one as well. So we're going to make sure that we get this out because I think 
of all, you know, we've done a lot of these and this one spans all of the work and can be beneficial to all of the nonprofits. And even those that are supporting nonprofits and the champions of all of the work that we're doing and the work that you're doing, Michael, I think this would be a really good conversation to keep these things at the forefront of people's minds. So once again, thank you for all your time, uh, all your work. We really appreciate you. Well, it's my great honor. Thank you for everything that you and your team are doing uh, for our young people. And thank you for your leadership and support as always, my friend. Absolutely. And we will definitely see you soon. Sounds good.